Today I won't talk about cues of deceit or lie detection. That's our usual stuff, but we don't talk about that. It's about deterrence of deception. We've done two studies in that this year, and we discussed those. Together with Sam and Sharon, in fact, carried out those studies. Um, there's very little research on that. There's a lot of research on cues of deception, on lie detection, hundreds. Mark already uh, mentioned some of those meta-analyses. There's very little on deterrence of deception. Um, but we're looking at our two different things uh, this year, about surveillance, social influence, and about something we call imposing cognitive load. So two different studies, completely independent from each other, but both trying to deter people from lying. In surveillance study, what we did is uh, people could either see themselves or thought they were observed by others. And that may work in order to try to avoid, to prevent people from lying. We know that if you see yourself, there's some research in that, that people become more normative. They show more normative behavior if they see themselves. That's basic social psychology research. So maybe we could replicate that in this setting. We also know if you're observed by somebody, you also become more uh, normative. And the DOT study is a very well-known study in which he asked his participants, um, suppose that for one day uh, you would be unnoticed. What would you do during that day? And what you then have, robbing a bank is by far the most popular answer. <laughs> otherwise you get sleeping with somebody who's not your partner, or spying on your partner, with all kind of criminal things, sexual things, that will come up in these kind of situations. So we ran this study, which was a lying about a health insurance quote. And uh, initially people uh, filled in a health questionnaire, 22 items, about uh, either their father or their mother. Not so much about themselves, because it gives you social desirability kind of issues. So about somebody else, the mother or the father. And after that, we're told, okay, what we're now going to do, you need to now to put a quote in for that parent. You just filled in a question form. And some kind of incentive or not to, to, to try to, to uh, get the quote lower. So lie about the health of your parents will get the quote lower. Um, we said, okay, we're going to do, we're going to test some software, detection, uh, lie detection software, and to see whether that indeed will work or not. Um, but we did the two different things. We said, well, um, you fit a questionnaire, if you tell the truth and we believe you, you get uh, five pounds. But if you start lying, you get more money. But we need to, you need to be convincing, in, in, you need to convince the machine, indeed, that you're telling the truth. Um, what we did were two different um, um, manipulations. One is your be observed, and that is okay, what we'll do, we observe you while you're doing that. And in that condition, there was a kind of, on, on the top of the screen, was an even blurred image of somebody was observing them. It wasn't real, it was a videotape we, we ran. And of course, the participants get the impression that somebody's observing them in the corner of the screen. The observer can only see you. So a rather weak manipulation we used. Only see you, the observer cannot see what you're typing in. That's an important, of course, part of the whole thing. Otherwise, it would be very easy to detect a lie. But no, you can't see, we don't know what you're doing, we just can observe you. The second situation is seeing yourself. While well, well, uh, filling out this questionnaire, you now can see yourself. And via Skype type of thing, you could indeed see yourself there in the corner of the screen. So then they completed the questionnaire about, uh, about the parent. And now try to see whether they were lying or not. Lying or not. About the weight, height, smoking, alcohol, all kind of things. And medical history, heart disease, blood pressure, cholesterol. All sort of things that usually emerge on those, on those, uh, uh, on those questionnaires. The participants were either students or staff members of our university, 82 of them, and that's the average age. And these were the findings of that study. The pre-quote was 165 pounds. And the first quote, you, go, you see, they went down to 140, and the final quote was down to 133. So they were told, okay, after the first quote, you can make more changes if you want to, in order to lower the whole thing to an extent that you're happy with paying that, that, uh, that quote. Lying between the first and the pre-quote, 70 out of 82 people did that. And that's a very known, very well common finding. 
if having the opportunity, most people will lie. That's most people are dishonest if the opportunity is, is given. That's a known finding, so we could find as well. Lying between the first and the pre-quote, the final and pre-quote, also 71% people did that. But lying between the first and the final quote, that was a kind of division. 37 people did that, the other 45 did not. And if you look at the manipulations, that was indeed influenced. Those who thought they were observed, fewer of them were trying to get the quote further down than the other ones. 40% of those who thought we were observed were trying to do that, versus 60% of the other one. And that's a significant difference. Of course, a rather small difference, but remember the manipulation was weak in the way they did know, they knew, they couldn't see what they were doing. Yet indeed, thinking you're observed makes you slightly more honest in a situation like that. Uh, seeing yourself had no effect at all. It had some effects in previous studies and other di different types of settings, not in this study. Uh, maybe people just didn't look at themselves very well. In other studies, you do something in front of a mirror that's more dominant than here, in which you saw yourself in, 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 the, in the corner of the screen. And of course, you're thinking about your quote, and maybe just you don't pay much attention to yourself in a situation like that. So that's what happened. The vast majority of people lied. Being observed made participants less likely to change their quotes, and seeing oneself had no effect. The st second study was on imposing cognitive load. Imposing cognitive load is something we do in lie detection. And that is that making the interview setting more difficult, more demanding. We know that works for eliciting cues to deceit, verbal cues to deceit, and it makes uh, lie detection uh, easier. Quite a few studies in that. So what is happening there, you try to make the situation more difficult. That affects liars more than truth-tellers, you get larger differences. We started doing that in asking people to tell the stories in reverse order. That worked, and that has now been replicated by several people. There's a very strong effect in that. Other, other things you can do is have a secondary task. There's research on that, for example, in, in, in uh, reaction time tests. In one condition, you have to grip an object. If you do that, liars get slower because they have to do two things at the same time now. It's more demanding for them. They are less good at the, light at, the uh, at the reaction test. And there are other ways of trying to get imposing load. It could also be if you impose load, that will now deter people from lying. If indeed the situation gets rather difficult, you may stop lying altogether. We know when people lie that they try to stay to the, to the truth as much as possible. That's what people prefer to do. You just try to change a tiny part in your story. Because truth-telling is easier than lying. So you don't want to make it yourself so difficult. Just ch change a vital but tiny part of the story. It could be if you now make the situation so difficult that it now will deter people from lying altogether. That's what we're trying to, to test in this study. So we have here a study where lying to get a job as a spy. And we wanted people who... Um, um, so we'd be, we'd be, they came to the lab and they wanted to fill in something, something about their own CV truthfully, about the qualifications, whether they speak foreign languages, whether they have been abroad, whether they have manager experience, and all those kind of things. Um, and then we said again, okay, we're going to, to test some, some, um, some software designed to, um, uh, to make veracity judgments about what you do. And then we, we, we gave them a job specification of a job to become a spy in, a, in, in, in MR5. And the job specification was rather hard for them. Many of those stu uh, students just didn't fill the criteria. So to get well, involved for the job, to get considered for the job, you needed a line in a situation like that. So what we then did, we gave them as much time as they wanted to look at, at the specification uh, situation, uh, the job in the, at the specification, what kind of job uh, they, would, uh, they would get. And they could then decide to lie or tell the truth about that. And similar as we did in the first study, all kinds of incentives. If you tell the truth and believe you, you get five pounds. If you start lying and we believe you, you get more. Ten pounds, fifteen pounds, depending on how much you lie and whether or not we still believe you. 
Then we had the imposing load. So what we did is in the following situation. Okay, if you do for an MI5 agent, we're going to, to try to become. What you then need to be good at is multitasking. And that's what we're going to do in this study as well. So in experimental condition, what we did, they now read a kind of a cover story about an agent. And say, what you need to do, you need to memorize this. And we will ask questions, multiple choice questions about what you just have memorized while you also have the interview. And they will appear on the screen at random moments. And you need to answer within 10 seconds via the multiple choice which answer that was. And if you want to be considered for a job, you need to be good at two <coughs> things. Both you need to be good at a memory test, you need to reply quickly and you need to give the right answer, but also, of course, answer the normal questions we ask about the interview setting. So that's multiple tasking. That was the imposing cognitive load condition. In the other condition, no imposing cognitive load and just the interview. And everything went via, uh, via the computer. So then participants were shown the person specification. Experimental participants were also uh, random times given that, that, uh, that cover agent stuff and, cre and asked questions about that. And we asked all kinds of questions related to the job, also related to the job specification and related to their own CV. So what kind of degree they had, whether they spoke foreign languages and so forth. Many of those rather specific questions to which you can give rather short answers. But we also had one general question at the end. Okay, considering the job specification, why do you think you're suitable for the job? That is an open-ended question. That's more difficult to answer than all the other ones. The other ones are cute questions. Do you speak foreign languages? You only have to say yes. That's a cute, far easier to do. The question, okay, this is the job, thinking about the job specification, why do you think you're good for the job? That now is not cute, so therefore it's more difficult to answer. And therefore you can predict that the, 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 the experimental uh, manipulation will work especially in that question, because that is the most difficult question to answer. So these kind of questions specific, whether your, 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 your A-levels, your, your all kind of problems, you can see that what it is. And then we measured lying. So we knew now beforehand what the criteria were. We know what they said in the interview we just compared, whether or not they lied to all these kind of uh, questions we asked. And also how many of these criteria they mentioned in the open-ended question and whether or not they lied to that one. Participants, again, were from our university uh, staff, 84 people, that was their age. And this is what we found. If you see in the whole series of specific questions, nearly everybody lied in that situation. You can see 95%. And again, that is very common, these kind of situations. If you, you give people opportunity to lie, they will do. Certainly in job uh, interviews. We know from other types of research, 80%. Eight out of 10 people think it's completely normal to lie in job interview situations. They also believe that employers expect them to do that. They think it's completely acceptable. So therefore, you can expect that many people will lie in a situation like that. We need to do more analysis on this, because that secondary task was not uh, happening in all these specific questions, only in some of them. It may be that we get some different findings if we make a distinction between secondary and specific questions and not. That's what we will do later. So we saw that 95% of people are lying in that situation. We also saw that 95, that 91% or 98% is not different either. That most people also told the truth. You get a mixture of lying and telling the truth in these questions. But the most interesting one is the open-ended question. And that's where you can see the differences emerge. What you will see in a normal situation, 50%, half the participants will, will add criteria in their, in their final answer that they lie about. Only 24, 25% will do that in the other situation, exactly half. So therefore, indeed, you can deter people from deception by making the situation more difficult. Of course, what you don't need to have, what you don't want to have, is that now people will not tell the truth either. That was not happening, that's not different there. So you can see the same number, there's not difference in giving the real criteria you possess, but indeed liars now deter from lying. And I think that's a very interesting finding, that's the last conclusion we can make. We know imposing corporate loads, a very effective method 
in order to elicit verbal cues to deceit. It's very effective in getting people better at lie detection. It's a very, very strong theoretical foundation for it as well. We also now know it deters people from lying. It may have difficulty, it depends on what kind of situation you have. Of course, for example, what you may have, if you use it in a financial world type of situation, it will make filling in forms and applications and so forth more demanding, more difficult. And it may well be that something that really the truth tellers don't like this kind of situation anymore and will not avoid their product and go to another bank or something like that. But of course, in, 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 in selection interviews, it's easier to do and other kinds of settings as well. Intelligence interviews, for example, there's a big, a big problem. In intelligence interviews, that these sources do not always tell the truth. And these kind of things are certainly easier to implement in intelligent interviews. Of course, you also need to think how to impose cooperative loans. This is a very good way of doing that. The MF5 type of job, they have your two jobs together, secondary task groups, the other things you can do. Reverse order works, but you have to think about yourself, you have to be creative in getting more of those imposing cooperative loan situations in it. So yet indeed, it works for lie detection, it elicits cues to deceit, it also deters people from lying. Thank you very much.